This is a Federal News Network podcast. IT asset management teams at the Department of Veterans Affairs and U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services are improving their lines of communication in an effort to update their software. They've coordinated efforts to tally their technical debt, create budget balance sheets, and outline their modernization needs to vendors. Federal News Network's Jonathan Tercasio has been working on a story around how these IT asset management teams have been making improvements, and he joins me now to talk about it. Hey, Jonathan. How you doing? Good. Um, so how, how exactly are these agencies using those, those, those teams in, in pursuit of modernization? So VA and USCIS are taking a number of measures within their IT asset management teams to kind of address this tech debt. And uh, I'll start with VA. So former VA CIO Jim Jaffer noted that his team, when he worked there, they created an infrastructure readiness program that essentially provisioned off components within IT asset management This kind of stuff includes software, hardware, bandwidth, storage, you name it, everything that constitutes or could constitute tech debt. And so after doing that and tallying up the technical debt, Jaffer said that it's hugely important for the agency to communicate its technical debt to its business partners. Uh, USCIS, meanwhile, they're trying to kind of strengthen communication within the agency, within different teams in the agency, so that everyone in the asset management department is on the same page. Bain Brown, the chief of strategic vendor management for USCIS, he said that under its old legacy enterprise architecture, different teams that handled software or understood contracts, patched products, they all effectively communicated. But that's not the case anymore. And that's really where Brown said he wants to get to, he wants to get back to, so we can make procurement decisions that are kind of more on par with his optimized target state. Uh, And he really emphasized the need for a single line of sight uh, and effective communication in that way. And Jonathan, how about the role of, of things like automation in helping to reduce technical debt? So Chief Information Security Officer at USCIS, Shane Barney, suggested that especially with automation, you can replace or altogether eliminate outdated or irrelevant software. But at the same time, when you add these new tool sets, these new skills, new performance issues are going to arise. So it's sort of this never-ending cycle of eliminating technical debt and then also adding on to it. And because of that, Barney said technical debt to an extent is a constant. You know, they're never going to be able to get in front of it. And while it's always going to exist, that doesn't mean you can't reduce it. So moving forward with automation, it's going to be a useful tool for eliminating it. But new problems will arise. You know, we actually, you know, you talk about tiers within SOX. We actually removed our entire tier one because we no longer needed it. We automated them out of existence. We didn't get rid of the people in order to get rid of the resources. What we did is we reinvested our time, energy, and training into those people to kind of make them better analysts, better better overall. They then helped drive us down, drive down the technical debt. But of course, the more you know, the more you know. Um, the more we get into it, the further more we realize the things we didn't see or didn't know about. I mean, solar winds and some of the other recent events has really taught, driven that home for us. That okay, yeah, you know, there are, we we, we kind of make some assumptions based on our misunderstandings of, of our security environment, and, and those misunderstandings or our perceptions of I often refer to it as perception security, which isn't really security. It's our perception of what we believe it to be. Um, what you really have to do is build those feedback loops in so you're constantly questioning that because that's where you get yourself in trouble. The minute you, you assume you understand it, um, you probably don't. Um, and so it does drive tech debt. And actually, usually you're either finding it or you're creating it by because you've added a new tool set in or a new skill set that's required. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so it's, it's a constant sort of ebb and flow of that. I, I, don't, I don't ever anticipate ever getting in front of it. It's Got just it. not the nature of the game.
And again, that was Chief Information Security Officer at USCIS, Shane Barney. And, and Jonathan, it's obviously important for individual agencies to have a good picture of where their technical debt is so they can get after it. But but one of the other thing that your story talks about is why it's important for vendors to know exactly where those gaps are and, and how, to, how to dig out of this, these areas of, of tech debt. Talk a bit about why that's important. So Jim Jaffer really harped on this point. He said that when you think about technical debt, which is pretty much the proliferation of applications and the agencies need to keep up with upgrading outdated software, it's kind of difficult to imagine how industry partners fit into that picture. But he kind of emphasized the point that if you trace the, if you can trace the performance issue back to an issue of underinvestment in an asset category, in other words, if you frame it as a limitation on business performance, then you can make acquisition decisions and policies that kind of align with your plan to reduce your technical debt. All right. Federal News Network's Jonathan Tercasio. Thanks very much, Jonathan. Thanks for having me. And you can find Jonathan's story at federalnewsnetwork.com. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I am your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Vice Admiral Cutler Dawson. Cutler has had an incredible career serving our country for 35 years in the Navy, where he attained the rank of Vice Admiral. During his service, he had numerous assignments afloat and ashore, including Commander, Second Fleet, Striking Fleet Atlantic, and in Washington at the Pentagon and on Capitol Hill, where he was the Navy's Chief of Legislative Affairs. Immediately following his retirement from active duty in 2004, he became the president and CEO of Navy Federal Credit Union, the world's largest credit union, where he served for 14 years. Under his leadership, Navy Federal grew from 2 million to 8 million members. Phenomenal. Cutler, welcome and thanks for joining me. Thank you, Shane. You've had a fascinating career across both military and the private sector. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background and your professional journey? Well, I started out at the Naval Academy where I graduated in 1970. And then, as you mentioned, spent 35 years in the Navy um, with uh, six actual actual, uh, afloat commands. Uh, The first one was when I was 27 years old. Uh, I didn't know enough to be scared of anything. And it was uh, probably one of the highlights of my career. Um, and then after I retired, after 35 years, I went to uh, work at Navy Federal Credit Union as the CEO, where I spent my next 14 years. Um, I'm, I'm currently retired and enjoying life. And um, it's been a great run for me. How would you describe your leadership style? And how's that developed over the years? My style has been quite consistent. Um, I believe, and I've learned this in the Navy, that you have to go to the deck plates uh, to see what is going on. And you have to learn what your people do and how they do it so you can help them to be better at it and more efficient and more productive. Um, It's um, something that you need to do all the time. Um, I remember I used to tell folks that um, you don't want to retreat to your cabin and what I mean by that is um, the longer you're in a position, the less you think you have to get out and about. But that should be the opposite. You should get out and about more because people change, situations change, and you've got to figure out a way to get to them and find out what they're doing and where, what you can do to help them. Uh, I, 
We'll talk a little bit more about your book, but I read it um, from C to the C-suite. Fantastic read. You talk about the deck plates in that um, as well. I would encourage everyone to get a copy of this and read some more detail about going to the deck plates. Cutler, who was the most impactful leader in your life and what quality did you admire about them? I had numerous while I was in the Navy, but uh, the quality that, that I enjoyed the most was the leaders that got to know me as an individual and that they cared about me. And I could tell that they cared about me. And they were not only my leaders, but they were my mentors. And um, I remember um, one particular one, Bill Schiffer, when I had my first assignment at the Pentagon, um, I would go in to see him with my problem of the day. And I knew that he had numerous problems of his own, but he would stop and he would focus on me and he would make me feel like I was the most important person in his world. Um, and I, I tried to do that um, throughout my career. But really, it's about caring for your people. Cutler, in reading your book, there was a quote you used that you used to inspire those people that work for you. And it really got my attention. And it was, it was you are the captain of your own ship. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what that means and how it was useful to you and the leaders you were developing. Uh, absolutely. Um, what I mean by captain of your own ship, when you are the captain of a ship, sometimes you're in the middle of the ocean and you don't have anybody to turn to to make decisions. You don't have anybody to turn to ask, what should I do now? You have to be the captain of that ship. And I, I translated that um, into, let's say, Navy Federal's organization, where I would tell branch managers that I said, you are the captain of the ships of Navy Federal. You're the ones that are facing the, the members or customers, as others call them, every day. And you have to make decisions without a lot of guidance, in some cases, and without a lot of time. So be the captain of your own ship. Step up, uh, make decisions, uh, do what you think is right, and you never can go wrong. I think that is so important. And you have to give your people a little bit of latitude to take some risk as well, because there is risk for them in doing that and risk to your organization. That's right. And, and I mentioned that I took command of my first ship uh, with five years in the Navy and I was 27 years old. Well, my boss had 32 years in the Navy and um, his, his guidance to me when I first met him was, Cutler, you do the right thing and I'll back you up all the way. What a wonderful way to, to spend an assignment with, uh, with backup and, and guidance like that. What, what great, great advice. Uh, it's clear leadership is a topic you're passionate about. You wrote the book we mentioned before, um, From C to C-Suite. Can you tell us a little bit about that project? Yes, when I was at Navy Federal, I would tell sea stories. Uh, as parables to get my point across. And um, folks would tell me, Cutler, we like your stories. It gives us a picture of what you're trying to tell us. Now, what else are they going to say? They work for me, but uh, uh, I took it as a compliment, and it was. And my wife encouraged me to write a book, and I needed a co-author to help me. And I found a lady named Taylor Keelan, who was the perfect, perfect co-author. She turned in my stories into wonderful chapters um, that I'm very proud of. Where can listeners find a copy? Well, you can get it on Amazon uh, and you can also uh, get it on the Naval Institute website. 
and I might add that um, any proceeds from the book, Navy Federal uses uh, to give to charity. Fantastic. Cutler, thank you very much. Really enjoyed your time and your lessons and in leadership and sharing with us your life story. And, and uh, I've learned a lot both from talking to you today and reading your book. And thank you very much for your time. It's my pleasure. And I, I, I would like to add one thing if I could, Shane. Um, during my assignments in Washington, D.C., I gained the utmost respect for the civilians that work here every day. They're hardworking, they're dedicated, and they, they have my eternal gratitude. Uh, I got to come and go from the Pentagon. They stayed every day and worked in Washington when I got to go out and um, enjoy being at sea. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah, we, WEPA serves civilian federal employees, but your comment is well taken because the interaction between the two is is continuous, it's nonstop, and it's critical. So uh, the career civil servants, as well as career military, uh, our country would not be where it is today without them. I totally agree. And, and I can tell you from the U.S. Navy standpoint, uh, we couldn't operate like we do without them being the backbone of what we do. Thank you very much for your time today, Cutler. And to everyone listening to Lessons in Leadership podcast, we'll see you next time. Helping your employees learn new cloud skills helps your business become more agile, more resilient, and more secure. Not helping employees learn new cloud skills causes your business to become less agile, less resilient, less secure, less innovative, less profitable, and, well, ultimately less of a business. Don't become less of a business. Try Pluralsight and get your employees everything they need to learn new cloud skills. Learn more at Pluralsight.com vision. This episode is brought to you by Zelle. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips. First, always make sure you know and trust the person you are sending money to. Second, confirm you have entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person or your recipient is rushing you to send money right away, think twice before sending money through an app or online.